Okay, so a little bit about me. I'm Dr. Roger Murphy. I'm a board-certified chiropractic physician and board-certified nutritionist. I've been in private practice for the last 23 years. For the last 14 years, I've specialized in fibromyalgia. Now, the first question that's on your mind is, what is a chiropractor doing treating fibromyalgia? I never would have chosen to treat fibromyalgia. It chose me. Because you folks are hard. You're really hard. Very hard. I'm 30 years old and I've got gray hair from dealing with fibromyalgia patients. But this is my story. Several years ago when I was um, doing nutritional medicine in my practice, I had a very large chiropractic practice. I've seen about 70 patients, 80 patients a day. But I had a patients who were asking me, Dr. Murphy, you look so healthy. What do you do to stay healthy? And I started sharing the things I was doing with my diet and exercise. And, and so that led to me getting patients who wanted to know how they could get over their food allergies or how they could, how they could sleep better or, or was there anything they could take naturally for mood disorders. And that started growing and then pretty soon I found I really liked working with those individuals. And I started going back to postgraduate classes and learning everything I could about biochemistry and a thing called functional medicine. Now, functional medicine is popular now because of Dr. Oz. Everybody knows Dr. Oz, right? But many of us in, who are kind of strange, been doing this kind of strange medicine, we've been doing it for a long time before he ever popularized it. Thank you, Dr. Oz, because people are realizing that there is this thing called functional medicine. And I'm going to explain that to you this evening. But what happened in my practice is I went from seeing about 70 patients a day to 60, then 50, then 40, because I was attracting people who had fallen through the cracks in the medical system. You know, Birmingham, Alabama, we got some very good doctors, you know. And they would go to these doctors, though, and they would tell them, there's nothing I have for you. Or, or they didn't want to go the traditional medical route. They wanted to try something different. And so they started showing up at my clinic. And in 1997, or I don't know, so it's been 14, 15 years ago, had a patient that came into my clinic, Sheila, and she'd been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Now, I never even heard the term. You know, this was, this, was, this was years ago, and most rheumatologists didn't even know what it was then. She got the diagnosis. Her rheumatologist said, I don't know much about it. I'm going to put you on these three drugs, and you come back in six months, and we'll see how you're doing. Well, that didn't sit very well for Sheila. She's very much a type A, and she came in to see me, and she said, Dr. Murphy, You've helped me and my family with everything else that we've ever come in to see you with. I've got this thing called fibromyalgia. I don't know what it is. Can you help me? And, of course, being the confident doctor that I am, I said, I don't know. Because I didn't know what this was. Was it cancer? Or was it What was it? But what I did know is there was no hope for her in the traditional route because they didn't know what they were going to do with her. And so I started trying to work with her, and she got well in three months. She went into remission in three months, working with me, just doing some nutritional things. Now, I know that doesn't happen, and it didn't happen again, okay? It doesn't happen, but for her, it happened, and that got my attention. I thought, wow, okay. Well, the other thing it got was a lot of attention of doctors in Birmingham, because before I went to chiropractic school, I worked at UAB for the neurosurgery department doing research. So I knew a lot of doctors, they knew me, they thought I was kind of strange because I went to chiropractic school and not medical school, 
but I wanted to go a more natural approach. And they, they thought, okay, well, you want to do that? We come back to Birmingham, we'll, we'll work together in some way. But when they found out I was helping people with fibro, of course, I only helped one patient, it got out. They didn't know what to do, and they started sending them to me. And I had a choice. I could either turn them away, or I could try to figure out what in the world was this fibromyalgia. And that's what I've been doing for the last 14 years. And my book now, the fifth edition book, and uh, Debbie said, well, I've got your first edition book. Is it any different? Well, the first edition book is about half the size. So that's how much more I've learned, and there's still a lot more out there I'm learning every day. But uh, this is like War and Peace. It's 500-something pages. It's, you know, uh, it'll take you a year to get through that book. But uh, it's now in its fifth edition in bookstores, and now it's my mission. So what I do is, that's really all I do, is specialize in fibromyalgia. At one time, I had a very large integrative medical practice on the campus of Brookwood Hospital because what happened was, as these people with fibro came to see me, I started thinking, well, golly, okay, I'm going to have to get a medical doctor to work with me because they're going to need some prescription drugs and we're going to need some lab tests and we're going to have to be able to do both. Wouldn't it be great if I could do both? And then I could do natural things and the prescription. So I started a medical practice that got quite large, as Juno would uh, agree, and um, we had four doctors, medical doctors, and we had other, doc you know, other natural doctors, chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists, nurses. It was huge, and it was no fun. So after several years of that, I sold that practice, and I've been out on my own ever since. At this point, seven, eight years later, my practice is 90% phone consults, and I get to work with patients all over the world, certainly the U.S., North America, but also in Spain and Australia and all over. And I feel very blessed to, to uh, have patients who have enough confidence in me as a little old chiropractor in Birmingham, Alabama, and feel like I can help them. But the way they find out about me is, typically they've tried everything else, and they've been to Mayo, and they've been to John Hopkins, and they've been to Cleveland, they've been all these places, and then they either read my book or they hear me do a lecture, or they find out that uh, they go on the website and they see all the testimonies. I don't say that to be braggadocious. I say that because I want you to know what I do works. I want you to know that natural medicine can reverse fibromyalgia. It doesn't mean it can cure fibromyalgia. It's like cancer. Once you've got it, or once it's got you, it's got you. But you can put it in remission. You certainly can feel better than you do right now, without a doubt. And you can do it primarily naturally. And I'm going to share that with you this evening. I'm not anti-drug. I'm not anti-medicine uh, by any means. So my best friends are medical doctors. Eight medical doctors live on my street in Birmingham. They don't know what I do. They certainly don't understand it, but they don't debate me either because they know I know more about biochemistry than they do because they learned it. And then in school they realize, well, I don't really have to know this because a drug rep is going to come around and tell me what I need to prescribe. So they don't have to be on the phone with somebody with broken English from Puerto Rico who is on 15 different drugs and trying to figure out how to unwind this. They don't, have, they don't that's not what they do. That's what I do. I am anti too many drugs. I'm, an, I'm anti wrong drugs. A lot of you are on the wrong drugs. And I'm definitely anti drug only mentality because drugs don't make you healthy. The only way to reverse fibromyalgia is to get healthy. And that sounds very simple, and it's not. It's very hard because, number one, you really don't, pardon my French, don't know what the hell is the matter with you because all your tests come back normal. 
right? And you've been to 12 different doctors, and they all tell you something different. Oh, they won't put you on some other prescription medication. So it's not easy getting healthy. You wish you could exercise, but you can't because you feel too bad. You wish you could lose that extra weight. You know it's not doing you any good. Maybe driving up your A1C level predisposed for type 2 diabetes. But you smell a corn muffin and you gain five pounds because your metabolism is so because your thyroid's shot and no one's explained. But you go to the doctor and they tell you, oh, your blood work looks fine, Nancy. Come back and see me in six months. Your hair's falling out. It's got to be thyroid. Doc. No, your blood work looks good. So it's a lot of this is the fact that in medicine they're treating symptoms. And in fibromyalgia, you can't just treat symptoms. The reason why, there's too many of them, right? There's just too many symptoms. And that's the downfall of traditional medicine. Again, I'm not anti-traditional medicine. If you've got a raging strep infection, my goodness, get on antibiotics. If you've got a herniated disc that you blow out, or even over the weekend, and you're in excruciating pain, get on a dose pack. Get on some steroids. That's what it's for. If you've got chronic pain you can't get rid of, use pain medicine. That's what it's for. But in, in the world that I live in now, called functional medicine, there's another way. And some of you may be familiar with it, and if you're not, you will be by this evening. But many of you have been told that um, with fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. you, can never, you can never get over fibromyalgia. Now, the, uh, the, the, the statistics are something like 2% of the population. That's not true. Because you, every one of you know three or four people who has fibromyalgia. It's one of those things that is growing. Part of that is because doctors are finally recognizing it. Of course, some of them still don't. But they're recognizing it. And also, what brings it on is not going away which is stress, and we're going to talk about that. So here's all the criteria. You can read that in the book. Um, here's my criteria. Do you have diffuse achy muscle pain that's been around for six months or more, and that means it moves around, and do you have trouble sleeping, either trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, and that's been going on for at least six months? You either have fibromyalgia or you're on the way to fibromyalgia. That's Dr. Murphy's diagnosis. You don't have to have the 11 trigger points or the 12 trigger points. Um, you don't have to have all that stuff. Um, now, the thing about fibromyalgia is there's so many symptoms that oftentimes, you know, you, you are oftentimes led to think uh, that you're crazy. I mean, how could one individual have all those symptoms? Fibro fog, you don't remember what day it is, where your car keys are, the, your spouse's name. You don't remember, you know, you don't remember you don't, that you don't remember, but you don't remember anything. You have headaches, you have fatigue, you have trouble with your sleep, you have trouble with IBS one day, you poop all day, the next day you wish you could poop. Um, you have trouble with funny reactions to medications, you have trouble with your metabolism is shot, so you gain weight easily, you can't lose weight no matter eating twigs and seeds. You have trouble with cold hands, cold feet, tingling your hands and feet. All these things show up in fibromyalgia and many more. And when you present to the doctor's office and you, sh you have this, and a lot of you come in with these lists, right? You have a list. And you say, here, doc, this is, and then you have all your drugs written down and all your appointments. You know what, what most doctors, when they see that, they go, oh, my God, another fibromyalgia patient. Let's send you to the rheumatologist. And, and who is the worst doctor you could ever go see? The rheumatologist. If, you're, if your rheumatologist's in here, 
sorry I call it as I see it, but I've been in the trenches with fibromyalgia patients for the last 14 years, and I can tell you the worst person for fibromyalgia patients to see is a rheumatologist. Here's why. Number one, do you know of a single patient, friend, that's ever been to the rheumatologist that's cured? No. I ask this question thousands of times. I never get a yes. And here's why. They are the... They, they, they are the atomic bomb experts. Why do I say that? Because you go to your internist and you have some pain. What do they put you on? non anti-inflammatory. And that's okay. Short term, you don't want to stay on it. Eat your gut up. It can cause uh, perforated ulcers and put you in the hospital and kills 10,000 people a year, by the way. But short term, that's okay. Okay, a little mobic, whatever. You go to the rheumatologist and you're still complaining, which does the non anti-inflammatories really do anything for you? No. Is Advil? Go and take an Advil. Does that help? No. So then you go back to the rheumatologist, and what do they put you on? Steroids or Embril or you know, something toxic, mexotrexate or toxic stuff that will just totally destroy your biochemistry if you're on it long term. But every year you go back, they put you on something stronger and stronger because they're trying to be helpful, but all they knew, know to do is drop atomic bombs. Because that's the kind of people they work with is autoimmune diseases. And so if you've got rheumatoid arthritis, there's not a lot out there, and doctors don't want to treat rheumatoid arthritis because it's hard. And so they have very strong medications for that, and they leave that to rheumatologists. But now you, you pair up an illness like fibromyalgia that doesn't do well with traditional medicine with someone that all they know to do is continue to give you one drug after another, whether that's Lyrica or Neurotin or Sevilla, some, you know, that's a disaster. That's a disaster. So, you know, we look at the studies and what the studies show is that patients on prescription medications alone are no better 15 years later. And that's because, again, drugs don't make you healthy. Now, they can be life-saving and they can be helpful. And sometimes they're the only option you've got. You get to that point. And sometimes they're, 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 you're on them and that's your only choice, but they don't make you healthy. In fact, every time you take a drug, what is a possibility? You can have a side effect. This astute lady says you can die. Yeah, one of the side effects of Lyrica is death. Yeah. Um, so this thing is on auto. Good. It'll keep me going here. See, did I miss any earlier, though? Let me make sure. Yeah, we missed some of these. So, so the studies show that... Um, the go-to medications for fibromyalgia, at least early on, because this is an older slide, were ineffective. And this was off the American College of Rheumatology's website, by the way. And because they showed that the medications really didn't do anything for fibro, they also said they don't recommend that you take benzodiazepines, those are tranquilizers, because those weren't effective. They also recommend you don't use non anti-inflammatories, because those weren't effective. They also went on to say they don't recommend you take pain pills because those don't work long term. So my, po my point is, what's left? There really isn't a lot in the grab bag, is it? So then they start sending you to the rheumatologist to get on some really toxic stuff. Now, what are the, what are the causes of fibromyalgia? Well, all, this is still being debated right now. Now they've got the, the small fiber study that was 15 people, and now they're trying to say that it's uh, the shunt, you know, the shunt theory, okay? 
Is there going to be something that will bear that out? Possibly. But it's a study of 15 people, and it's sponsored by two drug companies and a research group. All they do is develop drugs for poor shunt, shunt function. Now, you add that up, is there, is there some kind of chicanery there? Possibly. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing research. We should, absolutely. But from doing this for 14 years, I can tell you the main thing that brings on fibromyalgia is stress, either acute stress or long-term stress that eventually takes its toll. We all have a uh, hypothalamus pituitary adrenal. These are glands in our body. It's called the HPA axis. And this is our what regulates our stress coping ability. It's like our self-regulating robot. We don't have to think about taking 12 breaths per minute. We don't have to think about pumping blood through 60 miles of arteries and veins. We don't think about having a new stomach lining every five days with the actual surface cells that contact food being renewed every five minutes. Our body's always healing and adjusting. When you go outside in the hot sun, you break out in a sweat, why do you do that? To cool down. When you're in here in this cold room, and you got low thyroid, you break it out in goosebumps to try to heat up. So the body's always trying to self-regulate. But stress comes along, and it can take its toll on you. And we look at the surveys, 62% of patients say that emotional or physical stress was the catalyst for their illness. That could have been the flu that you got. Um, could be mono, could have been shingles, could have been some kind, could have been a hysterectomy. Could have been you had a child and you didn't sleep again for the, forever, right? It could have been you worked 60 hours with an ogre for a boss, or you went through a divorce, or you got on medications like statin drugs that compromised your ability to handle. So there's all kinds of things that can happen. But eventually what happens is the hypothalamus, which is your self-regulating gland, it regulates your temperature, your sleep-awake cycle, your hormones, your neurotransmitters, which are brain chemicals, your sex drive. All this is being regulated by the hypothalamus, and... When it gets under too much stress, it starts to shut down. Now, some circles, they call that dysautonomia, dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. Everybody with fibromyalgia really has dysautonomia. I mean, that's not, you don't have to have a tilt table test and all this and go on clonopin. I can tell you, you've got it, all right? Trust me. So if you've got a, a system that's supposed to be controlling all this and it goes haywire, doesn't it make sense that now you're going to have trouble with all that, Right? Your metabolism's shot, you have trouble with your bowel movements, you have trouble regulating your body temperature, have trouble with your circadian rhythm, your sleep-wake cycle. So it disrupts all these things. It just This vicious cycle starts where you have the HPA axis, these glands, go haywire. So now the chronic pain develops and it disrupts your sleep. Poor sleep then causes uh, problems with more fatigue, sensitivity to pain, increased inflammation, suppressed immune function, and lower metabolism. Chronic poor sleep further depletes serotonin. When serotonin goes low, your pain goes up, and you start having problems with IBS and mental clarity issues, as well as anxiety and depression. So the key, really, to starting to reverse fibromyalgia is to start to replace and build up and optimize the hormones, as well as other nutrients that you need. The stress coping chemicals is what I call them. So when you start getting low in the neurotransmitter, serotonin, norepinephrine, and then the other hormones like melatonin, cortisol, DHEA, estrogen, thyroid, when you start getting low in those, you start really having a problem with your fibro, and so many symptoms show up. Now, the thing about um, when you don't go into deep restorative sleep, 
you deplete your stress coping savings account. We all are born with a stress coping savings account. And in that account, we have certain chemicals that allow us to deal with stress. The more stress that we're under, the more of these chemicals we use. So you get in a uh, traffic jam, start taking, off, taking out some withdrawals from your stress coping savings account to help you deal with that stress. The problem is you make more withdrawals than you do deposits with fibromyalgia because the way you make deposits in going into deep restorative sleep. Is anybody here going to deep restorative sleep? Some of you had not slept in 20 years, right? So, because you're not going into deep restorative sleep, you're not building up your stress coping savings account. So you're low in things like serotonin, dopamine, cortisol, DHEA, magnesium, these things that you need to make the hormones or the hormones themselves. And because of that, you wake up every day and you're going to work and you pick up your toolbox and the only things in there is a rusty old screwdriver. And that's okay if you're pulling screws out all day long, but what happens if you need a hammer or a nail? What are you going to do? You're in, you're in trouble. And you know that happens to you because you show up every day and you don't know is it going to be a good day or a bad day. Now, if you slept pretty good and you got some rest, it may be a good day. But if you didn't sleep, oh, my goodness. Or if you overdo it, oh, my goodness, you crash. If you get under more stress than you can handle, now you've, you've further depleted your stress coping savings account and you over withdrawn. So poor sleep is linked to all sorts of health problems. And one of the big things, let me go back and point this out, is poor sleep, uh, it will increase your substance P, which is a hormone. The higher your substance P, the lower your pain threshold. So that means your pain threshold, uh, or I'm sorry, your pain is magnified. That explains why when you get up in the morning, you put your feet down the ground, you get pain in your feet. Now, what is that? I mean, can that even be, I mean, when it first happens, you think, can that even be real? Or you can't be hugged. You can't even have a handshake. Some of you can't have a tight blast on or a shirt. And that's because your, your pain threshold is so low that pain is magnified. Now, you combine that with the fact that when you're not getting deep restorative sleep, you increase your inflammatory chemicals by 40%. Now, you're really in trouble. And then you combine that with the fact that you've got altered, altered uh, thyroid function and these other things. And, and, and how many of you just have fibro? Well, you've got other things too, right? You've probably got osteoarthritis, wear and tear arthritis. might have headaches. You could have other pains that are not fibro-related, but they're made worse by your low pain threshold, right? So it just is this whole thing that gets out of control pretty quickly. Now, college students um, here at Jacksonville State, where I went for a couple of years, a name of school I was there uh, in my early years. I went to every school in the South, okay, before I finally wound up in chiropractic school. But another story. But I remember very well, and it's been many years, that we could live on keg party, you know, keg parties and Twinkies and what was, uh, trying to think of what was a fast food joint up there at the time, but we could live on garbage, basically, and no sleep and abuse ourselves and do fine. However, even because we were invincible, 18, 19-year-old kids, we could do anything. But what we have seen is that even in college kids who are, quote-unquote, probably the healthiest people on the planet, if you keep them from going into deep restorative delta wave sleep, they will develop all the symptoms of fibromyalgia, every single one of them, and 
more. That's how important deep sleep is. So substance P, we've talked about that. Uh, substance P is lowered by the neurotransmitter brain chemical serotonin. Now, the way that most patients interact with their doctor as far as with a sleep issue is they walk out of the office with the sleep drug medication. The problem with that is no one has an ambient deficiency. And the problem, if you've read the research, and I encourage you to read it, it's in my book, it's on my blog, it's in the newsletters I send out, uh, I get asked to do interviews about it. Now they've come out and they said that sleep medications are as dangerous as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. They increase all mortality, no matter what that is. Cancer, heart attack, stroke, any kind of, any kind of illness, any kind of uh, disease, they increase it just like you would be smoking a pack of cigarettes. Now, that tells you that you don't want to be on that stuff. Now, there's, you know, these five medications are the only five medications that put you into deep delta wave sleep. So if you have to use one, and I, hopefully you're going to try to do something different. Don't stop anything, by the way. You want to work with somebody. But you want to see if you can figure out what's causing your poor sleep. Now, all of these drugs have side effects. In the case of Ambien, it has all the side effects of fibromyalgia. Flu-like achy pain, fibro fog, poor memory, uh, depression. I mean, what does that sound like? Fibromyalgia to me. I mean, if someone came in and said, I've got these symptoms, I would think, oh, that's fibromyalgia. Oh, no, it's because I'm taking Ambien. Oh, okay, well, that, okay, I got you. So you don't know. Now, you see all these potential side effects. Now, what compounds this is that uh, many patients are not only on these drugs, sleep drugs, but they're also on the benzodiazepines, which are a disaster. The reason why they're disasters is because they're very addictive. It's very hard to get off of those. I have patients... Uh, over the years who've actually flown in to me to see me and their only problem is, is they're taking a benzodiazepine and they feel terrible because they take it. You can see the potential side effects of it. Uh, well, you, I guess it's already rolled over, hadn't it? But there's, there's I mean, it's just a long list. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, here we go. There's some of them. Nausea, fluid retention, anxiety, depression. It can cause uh, uh, fatigue, um, somnolence, which is prolonged drowsiness or trance-like condition headaches, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, so poor sleep. Now, the benzodiazepines deplete your natural sleep hormones. So the longer you're on them, the more likely you are to become dependent, and eventually you are depleting your sleep hormone melatonin, so that makes it worse. The other thing is they also deplete CoQ10. CoQ10 is the spark plug of every cell. When you deplete CoQ10, even by 25%, you start having... Uh, neurological problems, uh, polyneuropathy. And that's the same thing that you can get when you take statin medications. 33% uh, of the people who take statin medications in the first two years develop polyneuropathy, which can be nerve damage that's manifested in any way that a nerve, can, uh, nerve disease can be mani manifested. That can be trigeminal neuralgia, that can be Bell's palsy, that can be uh, suicidal tendencies, depression, anxiety, poor memory, it can be tingling in the hands and feet foot drop, sciatica, anything where a nerve is involved, it can be manifested as polyneuropathy. The same thing can happen to benzodiazepines. The thing about the benzodiazepines is they don't put you in a delta wave sleep. 
Now, they knock you out, bam. I mean, they knock everything out. They shut everything down. But they don't put you in that deep restorative sleep. And so because of that, you wake up every day and you still have a bankrupted stress-scoping savings account. You're not making any deposits. So you're back where you, every day you wake up. It's like Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. You wake up in your same place every day. You're never better. And 10 years goes by and you're in the same, your same predicament. So benzodiazepines, the other thing about benzos is they're very addictive. They're hard to get off of. Um, 40% of, the, of those over the age of 60 or older who take tranquilizers will experience tardive dyskinesia. Do you know what that is? That's the shakes. And I'll never forget when I was just a young little pup out going, when my first book came out in 2003, and I went to speak in Mississippi, and they had me on this big stage, and there was like 400 people there, and they billed me up as some diet, you know, superstar fibromyalgia expert, and uh, I was very green behind the ears. I won't... Uh, mind telling you that. But I got up on the stage and I remember this lady, one of the questions, the question and answer session, she said, um, can you tell me what what this is? And I, and I looked at her, I wasn't really sure what, what this was. And she, she opened her mouth and her tongue was wagging back and forth. Now at that time I said, you know, I really don't know. Now this is what I knew, I would know today in a heartbeat. Um, it was started dyskinesia. Now, I asked her what medication she was taking. I was just trying to figure out what in the world. It's tardy dyskinesia. So this is a lady who was put on benzodiazepines because she had some stress in her life. Her doctor was trying to help her calm down. She got on them, and now she's got this tongue that rolls around in her mouth all day long. Now, what I was going to tell you, I've got people who fly in to see me, and they've got more money than you and I could ever dream of. And uh, this one gentleman, I'm thinking, you know, he's his, his I think his third wife, uh, yeah, I think his third wife, who's probably you know a third his age, um, flies in on his private jet, and his only complaint is is that he's taking a benzodiazepine, and he and if he takes it, it makes him depressed and low libido. He can't satisfy his twenty year old, twenty something wife, you know, and um, but if he goes off of it, he's miserable, and this is his life. How sad to have. All the money you could ever, I mean, a guy's got everything, you know, uh, and he's miserable. So I'm not anti-drug. <laughs> I'm anti-wrong drug. That is the wrong drug for people to be on, and it's given out like candy. So these drugs deplete CoQ10. We talked about that. Uh, so CoQ10 deficiency can lead to depression, fibro fog, uh, muscle pain, uh, leg pain, uh, it can cause uh, mitral valve prolapse, high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, uh, a, uh, arrhythmia. All sorts of cardiovascular disease can be triggered by low CoQ10, and that's what the research shows. Um, now, here's the, the drug du jour. I mean, and there'll be another one coming out, but Lyrica. Now, I don't know how many of you took Neurontin, but usually when I ask that, I have a lot of hands go up, and then they'll say, and then I'll ask them, how'd you do? And they say, oh, I did terrible. And then they'll say, oh, well, uh, how many of you taken Lyrica? Same hands go up. It's the same drug. It's packaged different, looks different, marketed different. It's the same drug. Supposedly, Lyrica, you can take a lower dose, so theoretically you're going to have less side effects to it. But that's not the case. The potential side effects are thought disorder, mental confusion, depression, fibrofog, weight gain. Some patients gain as much as five pounds a week on Lyrica. It predisposes you, obviously, if you're going to gain that much weight, it predisposes you to type 2 diabetes. I've had patients, I've weaned them off of 
of uh, Lyrica, and they've dropped 40 pounds just doing that. It sabotages your thyroid, does all sorts of biochemical damage. You can see the fatigue. And here's the thing, they give it to you for pain. I've got numerous patients that tell me, and I always ask them, do you think it's helping? Now listen, if something's helping, I'm all for it. Let's try to find an option to it. But if that's what's working and we can't find anything else, stay on it. If that's Cymbalta, Sevilla, Ambient, whatever it is. If we can't find an option naturally and try to treat the cause, because that's what we want to do instead of the symptom, uh, you, you want to treat the cause. Why can't you sleep? It's not a drug deficiency. It could be that your cortisol levels are bouncing around too much, and so when you go to lay down to go to sleep, you catch your second wind. The cortisol level goes up. Well, there's a way you can find that out through testing. It could be your thyroid's goofed up. And, if, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You're not getting tested properly. But you want to look for what are the causes and treat those, not the symptoms. If I've got a patient, uh, though, that's taking Lyrica, I'll ask him, do you think it's helping? And they, now, there's 30% of people say Lyrica helps. For those people, go, you know, go get it. But for most people, it doesn't help. It's a drug that's supposed to reduce nerve pain. And fibromyalgia is not a nerve pain illness. It's, it's much more than that. And so I'll ask him to say, no, I don't think it's helpful. So let's wean you off of that and let's see how you do. I've yet to have a, well, I've had one patient in the last three or four years since Lyrica has been out who's told me that they did better on Lyrica than they did without it. Because Lyrica can actually cause pain. It can actually cause pain. It's one of the side effects. Now, the lady who did better on it, and I, and I told her definitely do not feel guilty, she had true neuropathy. And that's the only thing that helped her. And we're doing all kinds of other things to help her. Um, and she's doing great. But she's got to stay on Lyrica. She doesn't have an option. So stress, that's the catalyst for the disease. And it's responsible for 80% of all illnesses, um, certainly fibromyalgia. And we've already talked about the stress coping savings account that you're born with. Some of us have big stress coping savings accounts. Some of us have little stress coping savings accounts. Some of us are, um, you know, we, we live on stress. Some of us were type A's and we, you know, we, that's how we, that's how we were for years. And then it caught up with us because we did and 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 did. And then one day we were done out. That was it. Then the others are caregivers, the type B's, who they give and they give and they give and they give and they give. They just had their gallbladder taken out. Their pastor calls and says, hey, can you, can you just come down for help us organize everything for the picnic fundraiser tomorrow? Yeah, I'll, I'll be right there. You give, you give, and one day you're, you've given out, and that's it. That's all you got. You don't have anything left. And you've made more withdrawals then you are making deposits because, again, you make deposits when you go into deep restorative sleep. Make sense? It's not rocket science. It really is how it works. We try to complicate it with studies about nerve damage and, and AV shunts and all this stuff. And that's great. We need, to, we need to keep doing the research. But that research is being driven to marry a drug most of the time. I hate to sound jaded, but if you read any of the works, even by um, uh, the lady who was the, the, uh, the editor for New England Journal of Medicine, uh, I can't think of her name, came out with a book a couple years ago, and she says how um, dishonest it all is. It, that a lot of the studies are ghost-written, and they're just 
trying to make it sound like you need this drug when really a lot of the studies show that you're just as good or, or, uh, as taking a sugar pill than you are the drug. But the drug may work 2% more. That costs you $150 a month. You have all these potential side effects. But that's how they make their money for their investors. Sorry, I know that sounds very jaded, but it, in the world that I am, working with patients all over the world, it's irritating. So, um, but you want to go into that deep restorative sleep because when you go into deep restorative sleep, you make one of the things you do is you make more serotonin. Now, the higher your serotonin, less pain you have because it raises your pain threshold. The higher your serotonin, less anxious you are, less depressed you are, more mentally alert you are. The higher your serotonin, less likely you have IBS because you have more serotonin receptors in your intestinal tract than you do in your brain. That's why when you get nervous, you get butterflies in your stomach and not in your head, right? So what happens when you get under a lot of stress, you have a flare with your IBS, and where are you? In the bathroom having a loose bottom. It's because you don't, you don't have enough serotonin. Now, that's okay because uh, with serotonin, you can see all the things that it does. Here, we just talked about that. Um, but that's okay because we've got a drug for that. So we have selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And now, of course, we've got selective serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, including Cymbalta and Civella. Okay? Now, these medications are recommended to help you get your serotonin level up. Now, the perception is if you take those, they make serotonin. They don't make serotonin. They're described as serotonin, I'm sorry, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, not selective serotonin making or maker, okay? And what they do is they help you hang on to what serotonin you have. Well, as we say here in the South, uh, well, these drugs are gasoline additives. Okay, this is the analogy that I use. And the problem is they're designed to help you get more mileage out of your gasoline. But as we say in the South, if you ain't got any gasoline in the tank, it ain't going to do much, right? And that's what happens with fibro. It's years and years of stress and poor sleep. You've depleted serotonin so low, there's nothing to reuptake. There's nothing there. Does that make sense? Now, all these medications have potential side effects, as you know. I'm not, you know, telling you to stop your drugs. That'd be the worst thing you can do. You've got to feel better. Patients come see me, that's the first thing you want to do after hearing me talk. It's like, oh, my God, I've got to get off this stuff. So the worst thing you can do initially, you've got to feel better first because it's too stressful. So the first thing I do when I'm working with my patients is work with them to get them sleeping naturally um, or get them some energy, take the stress off their body. Then we look at different drugs, which one they can come off immediately. Statin drug, you stop right away. Benzodiazepine, obviously that's going to be some work and that's going to be pushed down the line. And antidepressant, you got to wean off of. So there's, there's a strategy to it. But look at the potential side effects. Now, doesn't it, does it surprise you that one of the potential side effects of an antidepressant is depression? Did you, and then isn't that something with chest pain, nervousness, sleeplessness? These medications deplete your natural sleep hormone. Uh, drowsiness, weakness, of course, low libido, changing sex drive, tremors, dry mouth, irritated stomach, loss of appetite. Uh, and it goes, it goes on, nausea, rash. I mean, uh, you know, these medications can be helpful. But 
no one has a Sevilla deficiency. Why do you have a low serotonin? You're not sleeping. You're under too much stress and your body can't make those deposits into your stress coping savings account. Now here's the thing about these medications. In over 70% of the time, I have to say show that 70% of the time that those taking these medications do just as well by taking a placebo. I don't make this stuff up. I just report it. So 70% of the time, you're no better off on the medication. These medications are, uh, when, they, when they look at them, they show that they increase the Hamilton scale rating by two points over a placebo. Now, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. Okay. Now, you know, you don't want to stop your medication because you can get all the side effects, and some of you have, get the mind zaps, the brain zaps, and all that stuff that goes with trying to come off this medication. You don't want to do that unless you're working with somebody that can help you with that. Um, there's all kinds of things that, you know, go with this. Now, the thing that happens, you get down regulation. The longer you're on these medications, the more likely they are to quit working. That's why over the years, you've gone from one antidepressant to another because initially it may work, but eventually it quits working because you get a thing called down regulation because the brain has these receptors in it. And if you're using this medication to kind of trick it, eventually it catches on and says, well, listen, if we've got all this serotonin being reuptake, we don't need all these receptors. We'll do something else. And so now you start having less and less receptors and pretty soon the medicine quits working. Now, if that happens enough, you get to where you have permanent damage to the receptors. You have too few, so now nothing really works. Not to scare you. I'm really not trying to scare you. I just want you to know you got there's some options. Um, so there it is. So you're using a gasoline additive, but you can see what a fibril brain looks like. There's no gasoline in there, right? Nothing to reuptake. Now, there's an over-the-counter uh, amino acid called 5-hydroxytryptophan. That plus certain vitamins uh, will make serotonin. You can, and so this is where serotonin comes from. It comes from this amino acid. 5-HTP uh, increases your natural uh, sleep hormone melatonin by 200%. Now, the other thing that happens is not only do you bankrupt your stress coping savings account, you bankrupt your stress coping glands, the adrenal glands. And what happens is you get to the stage where the adrenals, which are supposed to be releasing cortisol, DHEA, they get under too much stress, and eventually there's none left. So you're under all this stress. The adrenals are supposed to have, allow you to have resiliency and stamina stress, but you get to the point where the, the adrenals say, yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. You've been under stress for 20 years. You think I've got anything left to help you with, and you don't. So a lot of times patients will then get on things like Vyvanse or Adderall, or, you know, some other amphetamine, which is a, basically a street drug. I mean, that's what it is. Uh, it's the same chemical makeup as crack cocaine. Um, they don't tell you this because it's packaged right, and you see people running on the beach, and, you know, they got beautiful hair, and they look good, and they've got energy. But this is what this stuff is. Um, but when your adrenals start to become compromised after poor sleep and all the things that have happened, then you get adrenal fatigue. And you can see... Um, when you get adrenal fatigue, you can have problems with chronic headaches, nausea, allergies, uh, fatigue, dizziness, high, low 
blood pressure, low, uh, low blood sugar, so you have hypoglycemia, low body temperature, depression, low sex drive, chronic infections, poor immune function, cold hands, cold feet. It mirrors a lot of the symptoms of low thyroid, by the way. But a lot of you, you wake up first thing in the morning and you feel a little nauseated in the morning. That, and, and you don't eat. You know why you do that? Because you're trying to self-medicate yourself. You found over the years, if you don't eat breakfast in the morning, you can keep what little cortisol you have elevated. Because when you fast, your cortisol level goes up. Now, you can't do that too long because you've also got low blood sugar. If you, if you go too long, you bonk and you feel miserable, right? Yep. Many of you have low blood pressure, okay? And so that has to do with adrenal fatigue. You crave salty foods. That's, you know, crave sugar because you're low in serotonin or have a yeast overgrowth. Then you crave salt because of the adrenal function. Salt helps to recirculate these hormones. But many of you are depleted, uh, not only in the adrenals, but you're also having problem with your thyroid. And, again, the thing about the thyroid is it control the thyroid hormones control every cell in the body, every system, every organ. And when the thyroid is suboptimal, everything is suboptimal. One of the things that the thyroid does is control our metabolism. Our metabolism, what is that? Cellular energy. So when the thyroid is low, what is your cellular energy doing? Oh, my God. I can't even get out of bed. That's how important the thyroid is. It's metabolism. But your metabolism controls the speed of enzymatic pathways. Not to get all nerdy on you, talk biochemistry. That's what we're, that's what we're doing here. That's why natural works, by the way. Because if you know the biochemistry, you unlock the doors to, to the physiology. Now, you can go the drug route. Drugs change your biochemistry, but oftentimes there's baggage with that. But if you know the biochemistry and you start uh, treating the causes instead of the symptoms, you stand the best opportunity of, of really making a change to where someone had, doesn't have to stay on a sleeping drug the rest of their life. Okay. Now, with low thyroid, what happens is uh, a lot of times because of this stress that goes on. By the way, the number one thing that brings on low thyroid is what? Come on. Like an iodine. Stress. Stress. What's the number of reason a heart attack? Stress. What's the number of reason a cancer? Stress. What's the number of reason, number of reason for insomnia? Stress. What's the number of reason for depression? Stress. 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 And we're all under stress. But when the thyroid gets under too much stress, it starts to shut down. The number one cause or uh, reason for thyroid disorders is a thing called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Anybody heard of that? It's a big word. Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's an autoimmune disease. It's the number one reason for low thyroid. With Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the body attacks the thyroid gland. It's an autoimmune disease. The body gets mixed up like in rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, why would the body attack your joint? It's not nice, right? There's something goofed up there. It's usually a food allergy or a parasite or something that's outside the traditional realm, okay? But in thyroid, something is attacking, I'm sorry, in Hashimoto's thyroiditis, something is attacking the thyroid gland. And typically, it's because you're depleted in certain vitamins, minerals, amino acids, essential fatty acids, including, which is a big one, low vitamin D. Some of you have been tested, and now, 
Debbie's got my book. You can look in 2003, and I had a big thing about vitamin D in 2003. Didn't hear anything about it until, what, two years ago? That's how long it takes. But anyway, at least they've caught on. Vitamin D is very important because vitamin D is really not a vitamin. It's a hormone. It helps to make sure that you have these vital different pathways to work correctly. When your vitamin D level is low, your moods are low. When your vitamin D level is low, your immune system is compromised. When your vitamin D level is low, your pain threshold is low, so you have more pain. The other thing it compromises is your thyroid. A question. The correct level for vitamin D is 50 nanograms per uh, deciliter. 50. 50. When you see your, they'll tell you 30. They're still behind. 50. You want it 50. Yep. That's what all the research. Now, you're talking about what you should take or what on a blood test? Okay, well, how much should you take a day? You should really have a blood test, a 25-hydroxy vitamin D blood test. Um, I order that for all my patients but, uh, and base it on that. Having said that, probably a good preventative is 2,000 IUs to 5,000 IUs a day. Now, it's a fat-soluble vitamin, when it, so it can build up. It can build up. But uh, I remember in 2003 or four, I, I never thought that anybody in the South could have a low vitamin D level. And I had one of my colleagues and said, you just wait. You, just, you start testing them. You tell me if they're low or not. Well, the next patient, the next patient I had in Florida, down in Naples, I said, you know, I, I, we're going to do this blood test. I'm going to write your prescription. You go get it done. That's what I do, right? Patients go to their hometown, get the blood work, get the test done. Sure enough, it came back, and it was uh, 12. And she's in Naples. So it's a hormone. It's not just the sun. There's other things that are involved in this thing. So one of the things that compromises thyroid function and causes Hashimoto's thyroiditis is low vitamin D. The other thing can be Epstein-Barr virus or any type of normally dormant virus that raises this ugly head. Gluten intolerance. Now, that's the big thing, the paleo diet and gluten intolerance. Are you gluten intolerant? I don't know. You can be tested. It's not that, you know, it, it, you know, you can do that. I test all my patients for that. Um, can it be a problem? It can, especially for thyroid. Um, other causes of Hashimoto's thyroiditis or that you're estrogen dominant for a female. Most patients who have low thyroid, 70% of people have th low thyroid, or, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, 90, it's almost 90% of people have low thyroid or females, okay? Especially Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Uh, but e estrogen dominance, we always hear you need a lot of estrogen. But you can get too much estrogen. When you get too much estrogen, it will interfere with T3 uptake, which is a hormone that allows your thyroid to work correctly. So the only way you know these things is through testing. But what happens when you go to the doctor? What do, what do they do? Okay, you go in, and here's your symptoms of low thyroid. Let's see if we've got this on here. Maybe I don't, maybe I, did I bypass it? Okay. I haven't, Debbie pulled me out of retirement. I hadn't spoken in a while, to, to the public. I speak to, to doctors all the time. But um, the symptoms of thyroid are these, and you're going to go, wow, that's me. So fatigue, weight gain, hair loss. A lot of times you lose a lateral third of your eyebrows. Puffy eyes, okay, we get those bags because you're not getting the fluid out. Fluid retention, tingling in your hands and feet, cold hands and feet, 
Um, you might get um, little patches on your skin. You might get change, what they call the discoloration spots, uh, age spots. Okay, those start to show up more. Low libido, anxiety, depression, mitral valve prolapse, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, um, and I, infertility, PMS, PMS. And why, why do you get all these symptoms with low thyroid? Because it controls every cell and every system in the body, right? It only makes sense if it's compromised. You're going to have a lot of things that start to show up that are not working right, correct? Now, what happens when you go to your doctor and you walk and you go, and he looks at it and goes, oh, my gosh, Debbie, you got every symptom of low thyroid. I mean, you've, you, and you have it, but, my gosh, you've gained 40 pounds in the last year and your hair's falling out, and, oh, my gosh, well, listen, you, you probably got low thyroid, hypothyroidism. Let's do some blood tests. that will come back, and we'll, we'll get you straightened out. Then you come back, and they say, he, he or she says, I got great news for you. You don't have low thyroid. And you're thinking... Well, what do I have? Oh, you're probably just a little depressed. You know, we're going to put you on antidepressant or we're going to put you on Vyvanse or Adderall or something or Ritalin to help you with your energy. Or, you know, you just really need to get, you know, get a sex life or sleep better or get exercise. Or, uh, you know, you just need to lose some weight. You know, that's what you hear. The problem is when they test you, what they're testing for is typically they'll test TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. I go into a lot of detail about that in my book, make it simple. Um, and uh, so the, the TSH, when the TSH goes up, then that means you're not getting enough thyroid in your bloodstream, in your cells, I'm sorry. And so when they see it elevated, they put you on thyroid. But not until that goes up. Now, I don't care, you can barely get out of the bed and your hair's falling out. And, you, you know, I mean, you look like a thyroid patient. You talk like a thyroid because you get raspy. Sometimes you even get a goiter. I mean... The stuff I hear, the things I see, used to shock me. Now I know without a doubt there's a bunch of stupid doctors. I don't care if they got MD, DO, they're at Mayo, wherever they are. Trust me, there's a lot of stupid doctors out there, okay? Um, don't let them talk any bad about anybody in the South because there's a lot of stupid Yankee doctors up there in New England, okay? But if your TSH is not elevated, they're not going to put you on thyroid. Now, they may be really avant-garde and forward-thinking, and they'll do a T4. They'll do another, okay? The problem with doing a very limited blood work on thyroid is kind of like walking down here to the train track. We see a train coming by. We're going to take a, we're gonna get our phone out. We're going to take a picture of the train as it goes by. Then we're going to try to describe to somebody else about this train based on this picture. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to say, what can you tell me about that, that, the, the, the train car? Well, this, this is blurry. This car right here, I think that's a car. It's red. Uh, but you can't tell me how many cars it is. You can't tell me where it's going. You can't tell me the cargo. You can't really, right? And that's what we're doing with this limited blood work. We're guessing. And guessing doesn't work when you're complicated. So what happens is, is patients go to the doctor, and they never get the right diagnosis. Now, here's the other thing. More stupid doctors. You may have a stupid doctor if, right? Okay. You may have a stupid doctor if you go to your doctor and they do the blood test and it comes back and they tell you, well, it's a little elevated, so we're just going to watch it. Okay? You may have a stupid doctor if your blood work comes back and your TSH is at 4.0 and they tell you, oh, it's, it's a little on the higher side, but it's okay, but we're going to watch it. The parameters changed 
you're not going to believe this. Okay. Well, after hearing me, you know you're going to believe it because the stuff I've shared with you is too unbelievable not to believe. Four years ago, it changed the parameters. The American College of Endocrinologists, who are endocrinologists, thyroid specialists, came out and said, anybody with a blood work that their TSH is above 3.0 is hypothyroid and should be on thyroid medication. Guess what the lab tests show? You have to be above 4.5 to flag it, to get the diagnosis. And the doctors... Yeah, absolutely. So doctors are still using, and so are labs, this dated... You know, you know what? Uh, when I first started doing this, it wasn't... You had to beg your doctor to get on thyroid medication if your TSH was a, wasn't above 6 or 7. I mean, you were bedridden. I mean, you could, you know, you're hitting, literally you're bald, and, and still they wouldn't give it to you. And, and all this is hormone replacement therapy. It's not like Lyrica, which could kill you, by the way. Um, it's thyroid hormone, something you need. But they're, they're not trained, they're just not trained to think outside the box. Here's the other thing. A lot of you, if you go and get the proper blood work, if you were working with me, one of the things we would look at would be your thyroid antibodies. And your thyroid antibodies are elevated. That shows me that your thyroid's being attacked by your body. Now we know what the, why your thyroid is not working correctly. Because your TSH could be normal. And oftentimes in Hashimoto's, you may go 10 years with all the symptoms of low thyroid, and your blood work always looks good. But you keep thinking, God, I mean, I just, I mean, I've got all the symptoms. But they say, well, everything looks good. But your doctor is not doing the appropriate testing. Why are they not doing the appropriate testing, you might want to know? Because they're stupid. Because here's the thing, they don't know how to treat it. If your thyroid antibodies come back, and many of you, if you get it done, it will come back elevated. They're going to tell you, oh, we're just going to watch it. Watch what? Watch you just year after year get worse and worse. The reason they say they're going to watch it is because they have nothing to treat it with. They're going to wait until your thyroid eventually burns out, and then they'll put you on Synthroid or Levothyroxine. Okay? So they're going to wait. And that may take 10 years, by the way. So you got 10 years of misery while they're watching you go down because they don't know how to treat it. So, um, okay, the good news is, the good news is, is that you can feel better. Can you be 20 again? Can you run the Boston Marathon? I don't know. I don't know, you know, where you are health-wise. But the good news is what I do and what doctors like me who practice like me, what we do, it works. If it didn't work, then I would be a lonely man uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, because the word would get out pretty quick. But Juno's left the room, but she can tell you that we've got patients um, all over the world. And again, I don't share this to be, a, 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 to be boastful. I share this so you know that there is an option to just putting up with traditional medicine alone. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's going to be, sometimes you're going to need to stay on some prescription drugs. It's just the way it is. But you want to look at treating causes and not symptoms. And the approach that I use, this functional medicine approach, doing it all naturally, offers the best chance of getting you healthy. And in my opinion, of doing this for the last 14 years, working with thousands of patients, helping thousands of patients around the world now, um, that's the only way to do it. It's the only way. 
you can go to a naturopath or an herbalist or whatever you call it or your local health food store and they can put you on stuff and they can be just as guilty as the medical doctor in that they're treating your symptoms. So you got a headache, they put you on fever few. You've got, you're, you can't, you're not using the bathroom, you're constipated, so they put you on a colon cleanse. Um, it goes on and on. Before you know it, you're on 30 different bottles of stuff that really doesn't help. You get disgusted with it and you quit. You've done that. You've all done that over and over again. I mean, when patients come to see me, typically it's the spouse has got a big Santa Claus bag of all the supplements and drugs, and they come in, you know, with their, usually it's a male. Most people with fibro, not all. I treat all. I'm an equal opportunity provider. But most of the people, it, you know, it's female. So the male, the, the husband comes in, and then he's got this big Santa Claus bag, and it's like a Sherpa, you know, he's been, and he did, takes it, throws it on the, the, the uh, table, and there's just stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. And the reason why people um, get discouraged is because that doesn't work. It's not that natural medicine, functional medicine, orthomolecular medicine, what I do, it's not that it doesn't work, but that's not, taking a juice plus is not functional medicine. Taking a centrum silver, which is based on the RDA, which is 50 years out of date, it's just enough to keep you from getting scurvy. Not enough to really do anything biochemically. It's not going to do anything. So don't, if you've, don't, um, if you've done this approach, all this stuff, and it didn't do anything, don't give up on that idea that the, the, the premise is, is to get healthy. But you've got to treat causes and not symptoms. Okay? Now, what I'd like to do is take some questions and uh, be happy to do that. Take some questions and see if there's anything I can share with you in your quest just, you know, to, to, to feel good again. So uh, feel free. I'm happy to, to answer as many questions as, as we got. Yes, ma'am. So the question um, is, I take armor thyroid. Is there a way for me to get my thyroid working so I don't have to take armor? Possibly. It depends to you have. Is it, you know, the thing is, um, if you've got elevated antibodies, it's Hashimoto's. It's not that you don't have enough thyroid hormone. It's that something's attacking your thyroid. What we need to know is what's attacking the thyroid. Treat the cause not the symptom. The symptom is low thyroid function, right? So we give you a And that's okay. Armor thyroid's okay. It's preferable. Most people will do fine on Synthroid, but some of you would do better on Armor. Armor thyroid is a combination of T4, T3. In the body, 80% of hormones are T4. The other, it's actually a little different, a little more. But 80% is T4 and 20% T3. T4 is inactive. It's got to turn into T3. And T3 is the active hormone. It's 300 times stronger than T4. It's what controls your metabolism. Are you with me? Kind of? Okay. So some people go to the doctor year after year on Synthroid, which is T4. They say, oh, your blood work looks good. And you say, well, why am I feel so bad? Why can't I lose weight? Why do I still have cold hands, cold feet? Because they're not doing out-of-the-box testing. And they don't realize... 
that that T4 prescription drug is not converting into the active T3. You with me? Okay. So armor is a combination, and so it, you stand a better chance, obviously, if you're taking a combination of T4 and T3, that you're going to get the benefit of that T3 because you're taking it. The question was, can I get off of it? You may, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings if you stayed on it, if we got everything else working, and it was doing what it was supposed to. Because thyroid, it, to me, is not a drug. It's replacement therapy. If you need it, you need it. Um, what I, it's cheap, and it works for a lot of, you know, it's the missing link for a lot of people. Okay, any other questions? Well, I, I do. Mm -hmm. um, I have had, I have been on levothyroxine for a long time. Um, some water. Oh, I'm sorry, I was going to get some water. Le, le, no, levothyroxine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, well, I had thyroid nodules, mm -hmm. and my endocrinologist mm -hmm. put me on that to shrink them. Mm -hmm. I was going and having the ultrasounds, and mm -hmm. so they got to, to a place where they were wouldn't shrink anymore. They were mm -hmm. just there. Mm -hmm. So he said, I'm taking you off your thyroid hormone. Well, I thought, I mean, it was awful. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure and, it was. And so I told my rheumatologist, and he put me back on my thyroid. Yeah, yeah. And it made my endocrinologist mad. But anyway, the, the problem is when he did the blood work, even though I was on the thyroid medicine, my, is it free? Free T4. Very mm -hmm. low, but yeah. Else well, okay. Now you had so here's the, the the for those listening on this replay. This I'm gonna simplify this. Um, the problem was there were some nodules that showed up on the thyroid gland. So we're thinking, could it be a cyst? Could it be a tumor? Could it be a goiter? Um, and and that's all we kind of really know. And then the doctor put her on. Levothyroxine, which is synthetic T4, and the nodules did not go down. So the endocrinologist wanted to take her off of that because it could make, if it's an autoimmune disease, make it worse. Well, now actually it did. They shrank, but they only shrank a certain to a certain place, and then they wouldn't change. They never changed anymore. They just stayed. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so here, so that they did. They put them on, put on the medication to shrink the nodules. But, but as soon as the nodules went plateaued, they took you off the medication because your blood work looked good except for low T4. Well, he took, he took me off of it without even checking my blood work. And so okay. my rheumatologist here's, is okay. the one who... All right, and so problem. here's the thing. I mean, I would want to know, did you have elevated antibodies? Because... Didn't check, didn't check them. Then there's the... All I know is yeah. my free T4 is yeah. very low. So okay. I don't know what that means. It means you're not working right. <laughs> and so probably what you're seeing with the nodules, it's an autoimmune disease. It's the beginning of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, okay. and they're not treating you appropriately. Number, They're not treating the cause of that, but they weren't even going to treat you. What they were going to do is wait until your thyroid burned out, and now your TSH will spike up, and now they'll go, oh, you have low thyroid, which you've been battling it probably for you know 10 years. Exactly. Yeah, At okay. Least. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry I came away, but could we just... The whole thing? Okay, one of the things that happens, and I'm, and I'm recording this, and I'm going to give this to, to Debbie, 
and so everybody can have it. But I hope it. I hope um, when you get under stress, your body releases another releases a hormone called reverse T3. And reverse T3 blocks the conversion of T4 into T3. And so if you're on a T4 medication like Synthroid, Levothyroxin, and your reverse T3 goes up because of stress, it's not going to do anything. It can't turn into the active hormone. Oh, can medications do that? Yeah, I can. But um, it, but it can be any stress. It can be any stress. Yeah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Why do you lose weight? Mm -hmm. Yours is overactive, and a lot of people would love to have that problem. Yeah. You. So yours was overactive. And you, you had an autoimmune disease that attacked your thyroid and eventually went all the way to the point that it, that it sped your, your thyroid hormone, hormones up. A lot of people, Hashimoto's, they'll go years and years. It'll never turn into Graves' disease, okay? Uh, and so, I'm sorry, what was your question, though? Why, that's why it happened, though, is... I've lost weight ever since I've had surgery. Okay, you've had your... You took your... They took your thyroid out. So theoretically, you shouldn't be losing weight because you shouldn't be having thyroid function. However, you can have some tissue still left. And I don't want to know, I still, they're not going to say, oh, you know, there's no reason to do blood work because you don't have a thyroid. That's not the case. That may be wrong. It's like you get an endometriosis, you have endometriosis, take everything out, and you think, oh, I'm done with that. Can it come back? Absolutely, it can. Really? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm on 88 milligrams in Is that too high, you think? Or? If you're losing weight, it is. Oh. Yeah. You're, over me you're over-medicated. Yeah. Yeah, you're over-medicated. So you'd want to see what your TSH is probably bottomed out and then see what your t free and total T3, T4 is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anybody else?